This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And if you could put a finger in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. Uh, just three uh, little portions of scripture we want to read uh, to get us started tonight. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, reading from verse 9. As Jesus passed from here, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. It happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And then Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Let me get my place here just in a second. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. I was almost into Luke 15 because that's where I want to go later. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners uh, to repentance. Now, this evening we want to look here at the life of Matthew, uh, one of the Lord's uh, apostles. And he is mentioned eight times in Scripture. Four times he's listed simply with the twelve in those lists that we have read several times. 
but four times it mentions his conversion and his call. Now, we see already that Matthew has two names in Scripture, Matthew and Levi. Three times he is called Levi, which is probably his Jewish name. He came from the tribe of Levi. Matthew, we're not sure how he got that name, although he calls himself that. Could be he was given that by Jesus himself. Uh, Simon was given the name Peter. We don't know for sure, but certainly uh, he used the name Matthew. Also, in Mark 2.14, he is called Matthew, the son of Alphaeus. Now, James the Less, that we haven't spoken about yet, but we will soon, his father was also called Alphaeus. And that led some to believe that perhaps the two, these two were brothers, but we have no conclusive evidence at all in Scripture that they were. Alphaeus was a quite a popular name, and so that's probably all that was. And so there's nothing to support that idea, although there was brothers within the 12 apostles, James and John, Peter and Andrew, but nothing to support that these two would be. Little is recorded in Matthew about Matthew and Scripture, other than his conversion and his call by Jesus. However, what is recorded is very enlightening. Now, before we get into talking about Matthew specifically, I want to broaden a little bit of something I, I just briefly mentioned this morning. Uh, regarding the climate culturally and politically and socially and religiously in the days that Jesus and his disciples were on the earth. Now, it was a divided nation. And um, when I say divided, when I say the country is divided, I'm not talking about how it was originally divided whenever Solomon, after he reigned, then the nation was divided in two. And the ten northern tribes, which became called Israel, and then there was the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in Jesus' day, not in Solomon's time, but in Jesus' day, the division was basically cultural and social and political, economical, religious, and so forth. And so that's what the divisions were. And in the north, then, you had Galilee. That was the province of Galilee. And in the south was the province of Judea, the province of Judea. And in between, we told you the other week, was the Samaritans. That's where they lived. And so there was great animosity Never mind, leave out the Samaritans tonight. All the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Leaving that aside, there was animosity between the Judeans in the south and the Galileans in the north. The Judeans in the south, they were uh, much more cultured, and they were more affluent, and they had a lot more money, and by and large were more educated. And they liked to let everybody know that. They had a kind of an air about them. There's a kind of a class thing with them. And of course, that's where the capital was. So religiously and politically and economically and culturally, it seemed to be, as far as they were concerned, that's the place to be in Judea, uh, around Jerusalem. Of course, they despised then their country cousins up in the north, the Galileans. The Galileans weren't as affluent, they weren't as rich, they lived in smaller homes, uh, they weren't as well educated as the Judeans, and, uh, and, and they were more rural, more provincial, whereas these other ones, this is where the religious elite by and large lived, and so there was that great division. And so a lot of the clashes between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus and the disciples uh, came out of a lot of that 
came out of the religious difference, whereas they felt they were the elite, and the cultural differences, and the economic differences, and the political differences, and all of that. There was a great division between the North and the South. And, uh, and as I said in the last message then, uh, these ruling classes, they liked to believe that they were it. And that the ones in the North, well, they were poor, and they weren't educated, and they weren't as good as they were. And isn't it interesting that Jesus chose all of his disciples, with one exception, Judas, all came from the Galilee region, not from Judea, not from the religious elite, but from the ordinary fishermen and the ordinary people of the day, the ordinary man on the street, as it were. That's whom Jesus chose to be his disciples. And so whenever these elite religious elite when they got the chance to attack jesus and his disciples they would do it at every opportunity and of course jesus despised their phoniness he despised their hypocrisy and he was always challenging that and always saying that and calling them children of the devil <laughs> imagine calling people that well jesus did you're of your father the devil he said and, and all the things we talked about this morning and so, apart from Judas Iscariot, all the ones he chose were Galileans. Now, he himself, although was born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea, and I inadvertently said Galilee this morning, but he was born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea, and yet he chose to live 30 years of his life in Nazareth, and he chose his headquarters for his ministry in the last three years of his life to be in Capernaum, which was all in the Galilee region. And all of his disciples, except Judas, was chosen from that era. And so that shows us something about Christ and about God, how he goes to the outcast and the underdog, and those that are despised. And he hates phoniness and hypocrisy and pride and all the stuff that was common uh, from the southern lot. And Jesus, of course, himself was uh, a carpenter, had a job, a carpenter, uh, and made things with his hands. So these scribes and Pharisees, they despise these apostles, these disciples and Jesus because uh, they came from the, the backwaters of their country, from Galilee. And uh, right from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the religious crowd were against him. And they followed him around and tried to pick holes in everything he said and everything he did. But nevertheless, uh, Jesus was gathered around him all of those disciples these are the ones these religious elite these are the ones that were baying for his blood these are the ones who eventually sent him to the cross and got him crucified these were the ones who hated everything he said and everything he stood for and everything he did even his miracles imagine after raising Lazarus from the dead he'd been dead four days and Jesus raised him from that tomb. And you would think that they would be glad and rejoice at that, but no. In fact, they wanted to kill Jesus, and they consented together to put Lazarus to death also. That was how much they hated Jesus and how much animosity they had towards him, that even though they couldn't deny a great miracle was done, they still wanted to wipe it and to do away with Jesus. That's how bad things were. 
And so that was the conditions, that was the climate that Jesus and his disciples had to endure as they went about doing the works of God. Now it says that Matthew was a tax collector or a publican, as it says often in different translations. And that word publicanus means a collector of Roman taxes, nothing to do with somebody who owns a bar, as we would think of public in the day, a collector of Roman taxes. Now, this was probably the most despised profession in Israel for a Jew to have. I mean, this was absolutely the worst. I think the only worst thing than that would be a swineherder if you're a Jew. I mean, this was the lowest of the low they would be absolutely despised because they would be collecting taxes of the occupying forces and lining their own pockets into the bargain against their own people. So you can imagine that they would absolutely be hated by all Jews, never mind the religious ones. And Rome had a, every, every country they dominated, they collected taxes. If it lived and breathed and moved, they taxed it. It's a bit like our government today. If you live and breathe and move, they'll tax you. In fact, if you stop living and breathing and moving, they'll still tax you. It's called death duties. Imagine taxing you after you're dead, but they do. But the Romans did this. And so they, they employed local people to do it. And, and each tax collector, there was so much of a percentage that Rome got. But anything above that that the tax collector got, he could keep it. And Rome really didn't care. They really didn't care how you got it, as long as they got their whack. And if you were able to get more than that through threatening or manipulation or lying or cheating, well, that's up to you. You can line your pockets. And so you can see why tax collectors were absolutely hated and despised by everybody in Israel. And so we see here that he was a tax collector, but not just any tax collector. There was, there was two different types of tax collectors. There was those who would collect like income taxes and poll taxes and things like that. And that was kind of a standard thing. That rate was set. They couldn't make much out of that. But then there was the other tax collector, and he, Levi and Matthew was one of them, and he had more power. He could stop an arrest on the street. He could stop anybody and search their bags to see if there was contraband. He could search their bags. He could do that. And so you can see another reason to hate them all the more. And you have to understand that, you know, Andrew and Peter and James and John were fishermen, sons of Zebedee. I mean, they had to pay taxes. And in all probability, because they're all in Capernaum, probably were paying them to Matthew, to Levi. And so he was well known. He, he was a big tax collector. He had his custom house where people would come to him and he would go to people. And so the fishermen, when they had their quotas of fish, they were taxed on that. Everything was taxed. And I told you this morning that there was a trade route between Damascus through Capernaum all the way to Jerusalem. And so they would tax those who were bringing stuff through. And they would stop and search them to make sure that they were paying the full amount of tax. So these people were absolutely despised. Now Matthew, he would have been quite articulate, certainly could speak Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. Uh, he probably could speak Greek, and certainly he would know the Latin of the Romans. And so he was quite clever, this Levi, this Matthew. And 
he was good at figures and numbers. I mean, he would keep meticulous records, and he had to for the Roman authorities. So he would know how to do the books, but he'd know how to cook the books as well to skim off the top to line his own pockets. And he'd become very rich. I mean, he had a big, big house. When you see how many came to his house. And so he had grown very, very rich into the bargain. Another reason why they were despising him. There were three main cities where collection of taxes was done. Caesarea, Jericho, and Capernaum. You remember Zacchaeus? He was the chief tax collector in Jericho. Remember the wee man who climbed up the tree to see Jesus? I wonder, was it because he had heard that Matthew, the tax collector in Capernaum, had got saved and was following Jesus? I wonder, did he hear that? I'm sure he did. Because whenever he went to follow Jesus, Matthew, then it would be the talk of the whole town. That would be the talk of the whole region. That this tax collector gave everything up. All the scams and all the cons and all the cheating and all the skimming. He gave all of that up to follow Jesus. And the word must have went around all the tax collectors, even as far as Jericho. And probably when Zacchaeus heard that, he thought, boy, this Jesus must be something. I'm going to have to see him. I'm going to have to see what he's about. And he climbed up the tree. And you remember how Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today, I want to abide in your house. And of course, his life has totally radically changed too. And so, here he is, this universally hated Matthew. I said this morning, people would spit in the street as he walked past. They would spit in him if they could. They just hated and despised him. But Jesus just didn't see a public and he saw the person. He saw beyond what everybody else could see. Aren't you glad for that? And he saw something about him, which we'll see in a moment or two. And he called him. Matthew would be a pariah in his own hometown. He would long since have lost all of his friends his former friends. His own family would totally disown him. He would be an embarrassment to his family and to his town. I mean, this was a shame. This was a stigma for his family to endure because Matthew was a Levite. And, and as a Levite, Levites were those who were called to assist in the maintenance of holy things. They helped the priests. And Levites had a very special privilege within Israel. And he would be born into a godly family. And from a little boy, he would have known the scriptures. He would have learned them at his mother's knee. And he would have went to the synagogue. And he knew the scriptures. And probably could recite chapter after chapter after chapter because they would do that. And as a Levite, he would have been a worshiper. But somewhere along the line... And we don't know how or when, but somewhere along the line, something began to change in his thinking. Now, Levites were not allowed to own land. They weren't like the other tribes who had lands attributed to them. The Levites couldn't do that. They were to be spread out throughout the whole land, and God gave them, God gave them cities. Now, we're talking about city. I mean, if you're in America, they talk about a city, and that city may have 20 people in it. You know what I mean? It could be a, just a village. 
So when the Bible talks about cities, it doesn't necessarily mean big things. So they were given cities. And there were six of those cities was called cities of refuge, where people who were in trouble could run to to get a fair hearing other than just be killed because of what they'd done. They needed somebody to give them a fair hearing. So there were six cities that were spread out throughout the whole land. So the Levites didn't have any land. In fact, they were dependent on the most part from tithes and offerings of all the other tribes to give to them. So maybe at some point in young Levi's life, because they're all young men, maybe at some point he thought to himself, do you know what? I don't want to live in poverty all my life. I want to make some money. I want to make some money. And there's one way I can definitely make money in this country right now, and that is being a tax man for the Romans. <laughs> because I know there's money to be made at that. And so he sold his soul to the God of Mammon. For whatever reason, he sold out his heritage, his spirituality, his great privilege in life for money. And boy, he got money. Maybe he wanted to have the big house on the hill. And he ended up with the big house on the hill. But at the cost of his own conscience and his own soul. And so here is Matthew, or Levi, this Levite, brought up in a godly home, taught scripture, knew the Old Testament inside out, but he had aspirations beyond that. You know, I think of, of different singers over the years. What do you call that, that girl who sang that wonderful song? She's dead now. Uh, Whitney Houston. What a voice that girl had. What a marvelous singing voice she had. Became famous all around the world. But she started in the church choir. She started in church. That's where she sang. And what happened in the end? She died an awful death. She got dazzled with this world. And she traded that heritage, that godly heritage she had to sing to this world in Vanity Fair. And in the end, it destroyed her whole life. Completely destroyed her life and her daughter's life. And so here is Matthew. Paul said about Demas, he says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Imagine having the Apostle Paul as your mentor, the greatest missionary evangelist to ever walk the face of the earth. And this young man, he took him on board with him to teach him. And in the end, he walked away. The word was more attractive. And so here's Matthew, here's Levi. And one day he's sitting in the custom house at his desk. And he's counting out his ill-gotten gains. Probably thinking, what time does the bank open? I've got a good stash to put in today. And suddenly, a shadow falls upon his desk. And he looks up. And it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he just says two words to him. Follow me. And immediately, instantly, and irrevocably, he followed Jesus. He shut up shop. And that old life was over for him 
forever. Now that's quite dramatic, isn't it? And quite sudden. Which leads us to believe that there was more to it than just that. Remember, this is in Capernaum. So Matthew must absolutely must have known Jesus, about Jesus, perhaps even saw him and heard him, maybe seen some of the miracles that he did in Capernaum. There's a lot of them. In fact, just that very morning, Jesus performed a great miracle. You remember four men who brought a, a man with palsy to the house and he couldn't get in where Jesus was preaching and they tore up the roof and lowered him down and Jesus healed him? That was just that morning. So the whole town was a buzz. But the Spirit of God had been working in his heart. You know, before we come to Christ, the Spirit of God works in our heart and draws us. And maybe along the way, he had become dissatisfied. Maybe he began to think about his lifestyle. Maybe he began to think, what am I a Levite doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing this? I have the feeling he became unsettled with his lifestyle. And he'd be hearing about Jesus. And maybe he'd went along secretly to listen. Maybe he disguised himself in the crowd because if he had shown himself, he'd have been in trouble. Maybe he disguised himself, slipped in there and watched and listened. And remember, as a Levite, he would know the scriptures. He would know all the prophetic scriptures. He would know about Messiah coming to Israel one day. And maybe in his own heart and mind, he was seeing this and thinking, maybe he was thinking, this could possibly be the Messiah. Something must have been going on in his heart and mind because when Jesus said, follow me, immediately, without any question, he rose up and he followed Jesus and he pulled the shutters down in that old life and never, ever went back to that again. I think that something probably Jesus said that he heard one day maybe pierced his backslidden heart and he maybe couldn't get away from it. The work had been done on his heart before Jesus even said that. The conviction had already set in. And by the time Jesus came along, he was ready. He had been thinking about it. But now was the time to act. Now was the time to do something. And so what does he do? He closes the business down. Whenever we meet Christ, if we truly meet him, it affects us. Something changes in us, doesn't it? Even Zacchaeus, when he came down the tree, he said, I will restore fourfold of all that I have cheated people out of. Immediately, there was such a change in his conniving heart that he just wanted to make restitution to everybody he could think of. And when Christ comes to us, there is a deep, heartfelt change. What a lesson for all new converts, by the way. He left all. He rose up and he followed him. 
He left off. He stepped out of his old life. He rose up. He stood up in his new life. He followed him, and he started out in his Christ life. And that's the pattern for every one of us who meets Christ. Isn't it? We leave all. We rise up, and we follow him. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. If we haven't changed, then we're not saved. Can I be blunt about that? If we haven't changed, if there is no change, then we haven't truly received Christ. Because if we truly have received him, then there will be change. Our life will be different. I think what happens next is just wonderful. Matthew immediately invites Jesus for a great feast in his own house. And not only that, again, he's a new convert. What does he want to do? He wants to let all his friends know about Jesus. And so he invites all of his tax collector friends. He doesn't have anybody else. He only has the tax collectors. He only has the shysters and the crooks and the prostitutes and the roughs in town. That's all he's got. He doesn't have any other friends. Nobody else would associate with him. And so he invites all of those sinners. He invites them all to his house to meet with Jesus. And it's wonderful. As far as the Jews were concerned, all they could think about, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners. That's all they could think about. But Jesus said, they're the ones that need me. You self-righteous ones, you think you don't need me. They know they need me. They know they need something. And I'm what they need. As far as the Jews were concerned, (laughs) these tax collectors, hell could not be hot enough for them as far as they were concerned. But Jesus sees them as lost souls. He sees them as men that he wants to reach and absolutely transform them. And just as Matthew was transformed, he wants his friends to be transformed too. And then the religious brigade shows up. Here they come, the scribes and the Pharisees. Here they come, they spies everywhere. <laughs> Wouldn't you think that a conversion of a tax collector would be a great thing in their eyes? Wouldn't you think that? Wouldn't you think that would be one less tax collector? Wouldn't you think, well, there's a a dirty, rotten dog, and now he's changed, and never again will he collect taxes from our people, never again will he be a traitor? You would think that would be a cause of rejoicing, but it wasn't for them. Because no matter what Jesus did, no matter who he did it to, They just despised him, and they despised though he did it to. And so they murmured and they complained, why do you eat with publics and sinners? Jesus hated their petty, man-made rules, and they had tons of them. He hated that. He hated all that religiosity that didn't do men any good. He says, you bind burdens upon men that they can't even bear, and you don't lift one finger to help them. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You remember the you remember the parable he told about the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple? Now you see, a tax collector wasn't allowed into the synagogue. He was barred from the synagogue. In fact, 
he couldn't even go to court as a witness. That's how much they were despised. But they could go to the temple, but only as far as the court of the Gentiles. They couldn't go any further than that. They couldn't even go into the court of the men of Israel. But the Pharisee could go to the court of the men of Israel. And when you read the story, he saw the him afar off because he was in the court of the Gentiles. And what did the Pharisee pray? I thank you that I'm not like other men and I tithe and I do this and I do that. And I'm not like that tax collector over there. <laughs> he saw him afar off. You remember what the old tax collector did? says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it will be the tax collectors that will get into heaven before you lot because he recognizes he's a sinner and he needs saved. And so Jesus would have many run-ins with all of these Pharisees. In fact, he told them one time, he says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, he says, we'll get to heaven before you lot do. <laughs> and that angered them. They couldn't stand it. Every time Jesus called them a hypocrite or a sinner, they couldn't stand that because they were the religious elite. They were the elite. They thought, well, that's everybody else, but it's not us. We're the holy ones. And Jesus said, no, you're a bunch of frauds. You're like white at sepulchers. You're all nice and white and shiny on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Boy, I tell you, he could talk strong to them. And so Jesus chooses Matthew as an apostle. Now, can't you imagine that that must have, that must have raised some haggles? Here is the most despised man in Capernaum. And Jesus said, follow me. And he became his disciple and became his apostle. Can you imagine how Peter and Andrew and James and John and maybe Philip and Nathaniel felt about that? Because he was the one they had to pay taxes to. I'm sure at the start... I'm sure they were wondering, what is the Lord playing at? <laughs> He's asking him to be an apostle. But as time would go on, they would grow to love him as a brother in Christ, irregardless of what he was in the past. It's what he is now in Christ. And there's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? No matter what a man was in the past, it's what he is in Christ now that we accept. And they did accept him. And they did love him. And he became a great apostle. But Jesus chose very wisely. Now, for the most part, his disciples were just ordinary people. They certainly weren't rabbinically trained. They weren't theologians. They weren't like the scribes and Pharisees. They didn't have years of training, fishermen and so forth. In fact, that's the argument against them was that they were ignorant and unlearned men, meaning they hadn't been rabbinically trained. They hadn't gone to Bible school. But Jesus chose them. But Matthew was a little bit different because Matthew was smart. 
Matthew could probably speak three languages. Matthew was good with figures. Matthew would be not only articulate, but he would be meticulous. Not only that, he was a Levite, which meant he had a tremendous reservoir of knowledge of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And isn't it interesting to know that when Matthew writes his gospel, he quotes the Old Testament almost a hundred times, more than Mark, more than Luke, more than John put together. And he writes his gospel for the Jew. Who better brought up a Levite? And suddenly, now that he knows Christ, suddenly all those Old Testament scriptures are making sense to him. He can see Christ in those. You know, lots of Christians don't read the Old Testament very much. They say, well, when you come to Leviticus and you come to Acts, it's boring. That's because you don't see Christ in it. But if you saw Christ in it, it wouldn't be boring. Amen? No, you're not convinced, are you? But he could see Christ. He knew the Old Testament by heart. Probably could quote chapters. And he was meticulous. Uh, you know, and, and being trained as a Levite, he would have great ability to memorize. Because he'd have to memorize lots of scripture. So he could memorize a lot of what Jesus said. They reckon three-fifths of what Matthew wrote was the direct words of Jesus that he had memorized and he had written down. So Jesus picked wisely. Here was a man who was very gifted. But he was a sinner and he needed saved. But the Lord was going to put that gifting, that natural gifting he had, he was going to put it to good use. Calvin called those common graces, and God can use our common graces. He can give you supernatural gifts, but he can use your natural gifts for his glory. And he certainly did that with Matthew. And so Matthew writes a fantastic gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, if you, if you look at his, the very first chapter, you see that he, he traces the king, David, he traces him all the way back, he traces Jesus, sorry, all the way back, all the way through, even back to David's lineage, even all the way down to Abraham. And he does it, he does it in, in 14, in lineages of 14, because he's meticulous, and he's used the numbers and writing things down. That's what he was like. That's what he did. And so God used that tremendously. He was the one, when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was the one who recorded all of it. Luke did it in bits and pieces here and there. But Matthew was the one who did all of it, every word of it. He memorized that. He noted that. He wrote it down. Of course, the Holy Spirit helped him too. Matthew's gospel is an absolute masterpiece. It's wonderful. He was the one in chapter 24 and 25 who wrote a lot about Christ's second coming. He was the one who included that in his gospel. He was the one who was writing to the Jew in mind about the kingdom that was coming and about the king. And here was the king of the kingdom and he had got to know him personally. And so he was able to write a wonderful, wonderful gospel. So when you're reading the gospel of Matthew, remember who Matthew was. 
Remember what he was like. Remember how God took this despised, contemptible man and he made him a godly apostle. He wrote a great gospel that after 2,000 years, we're still reading it today. And such was the humility of Matthew that only twice in his gospel does he mention his own name. And one of that is in the list where his name is included. And in the list, by the way, he calls himself Matthew the tax collector. When the others wrote their lists, they admitted. They admitted that. But he didn't admit it. He wanted to know, hey, I was a tax collector. I was a despised one. But look what Jesus has done in my life. Look how he's changed me. Really, that's all we know about Matthew. That's all the scripture records of him. But what we do know from tradition and history is that he went out ministering. Tradition says he, he sought out Jews wherever he could find them and ministered and brought the truth of Christ to them. Tradition also says that he was burned alive at a stake either Ethiopia or in Persia. All these apostles died as martyrs. John was the only one, he was a living martyr, he was the only one who lived out a natural life. The rest of them all laid down their lives for Christ and for his kingdom and his gospel. And so there we have Matthew. And don't you see that every single one of them is different? There's not two of them alike. Different in temperament, different in talent, different in ability, different in style. Every one of them is different. And so that encourages us as believers, we're all different, aren't we? But God can take each one of us individually and use us individually, and he can bring us together corporately and use us for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. So do not despair. You look at your life and say, well, what have I got to offer? You're saved. You're born again of God's Spirit. You're available. You can share. You can speak of Christ. If that's all you ever do, that will be wonderful. You'll affect somebody. You'll affect somebody, and you might just bring somebody to Christ. Come. See him. Enter just people to Jesus. Amen? Lord, we give you thanks for your precious word. And we thank you for those men that you called and how you use them in a marvelous, marvelous way. And Lord, as we read their stories and as we read their gospels, some of them, Lord, we are encouraged personally. Lord, that you would take us individually with all of our weaknesses, Lord, with all of our foolishness at times. And yet, in spite of all of that, you work away at us and you mold us and you shape us into your image into what you want us to be for your honor and glory. So, Lord, tonight we say, take us and use us whatever way you choose to do. And, Lord, may we be a true reflection of the glory of God in our lives to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information. 
www.mpc.org.uk.